those that don't know, here in the very near future, Brother Long has a CD coming out of songs that he has personally written. And he has a tremendous backup group that uh, helped him out on that recording. So, Amen. I told him, I says, I got to have at least one of the first ones autographed. <laughs> so, we appreciate it very much. Amen. We're going to ask Brother Jason to come, this young man from Japan. And, Brother Jason, please feel free to introduce yourself a little bit better than what I do and give us a little bit of your history. But one thing that I do know is that Brother Jason has a calling in his life. I know that uh, he was raised in an apostolic environment, home. His parents are missionaries. Which means more than likely that the house of God was probably very paramount, very, uh, very important, and very likely that's where that he received his calling. Don't know. But I do know that when a young person commits themselves to the Lord and offers themselves willingly to the will of God and to the call of God, I just know that there's something about that lifestyle that it, uh, it raises it, your life to a whole new level because you feel so good about the idea that God actually feels like that you can do something to benefit His kingdom. Praise God. And so we're thankful for all of our young people and we're very thankful to have uh, been introduced to Brother Jason and uh, I've been able to spend a little bit of time with him and from what I know, I can tell you he's just a great young man and uh, we're thankful to have him here this morning. Brother Jason, Lord bless you, please come. Amen. The microphone has been debugged. Thank you, Amen. Praise the Lord. It's such a pleasure. It's a privilege and an honor to get to be with you here this morning, here in the Tri Cities. Uh, I have to be honest, before about a year ago, I had never even heard of the Tri Cities. <laughs> And here I am, and I've learned what a wonderful place it is and what I was missing out on my whole life. Spine nights. Uh, Brother Kelly told me about spine nights, and, and since I've been here, I think I've been, I don't know, five, six times. So you can get a, get this, you can get a double shot latte, a 20 ounce for like 350 That's way cheaper than anywhere. So I've, I've made it my local coffee stop, and... Uh, and uh, you may be seated. I want to give honor first to Pastor Knowles. Uh, it's just been, uh, before I ever came, I heard so much about him. And, and, uh, and everything, of course, was good. And when I got here and got to meet Brother Knowles, I found out everything I heard was true. And what a wonderful pastor you have. He really, you could just, from the first time I came, I could just feel the love uh, that, that is in this place, and, and that is because of the pastor. Amen. Amen. You know, the, the shepherd really, 
uh, has an influence on the flock. And the, the flock, a lot of the time, the church will take on the, the uh, personality, so to speak, of the pastor. And I really honor Brother Knowles. And, and uh, I look forward to getting to spend more time together. Maybe on a golf course. Maybe with me carrying a bag instead of playing because I'm not very good. But uh, how, how, <laughs> however it would be, uh, I look forward to spending more time together. I want to I wanna give honor also to uh, just a, a wonderful, uh, amazing person that I've had the privilege and honor to get to know. And uh, she has been such a blessing to me since I've been here. And uh, that would be my future mother-in-law. You see what I did there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I appreciate Sister Beth and Brother Kelly so much. Uh, they have truly been just so wonderful to me since I've been here. They've been so loving and kind and, and so welcoming. And it's, it's just been a, a privilege to get to meet them as well. And of course, Ryan and Janelle and the whole fam. And then, of course, the whole reason why I get to meet the fam. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> Amen. I feel like the Lord has a direction for this service today. I think you can see a pattern through the teaching in this morning of Brother Wood's. Uh, wonderful teaching to us about God's love and how it's never ending. And no matter what happens, God's love will always be there for us. And in the songs that we sang of how God wants to give us victory, it doesn't matter what happens, God always has a victory plan for us. And, and that theme will carry on through my message, I believe you will see. Amen. Chaos. Disorder. Darkness. Total Darkness. There was no light. But somehow in the darkness you could feel just a sense of chaos and confusion. Nothing seemed to have any organization or order. You know, there's nothing quite like darkness. Once you've really experienced it, you'll never forget it. One time when I was a boy, my family and I went to uh, the Lurie Caverns in Virginia. And as we took a tour of the caverns with their stalactites and stalagmites, we were hundreds of feet beneath the ground. And, and they warned us at one point before they did it, they didn't surprise us, but they warned us that they would be turning the lights out. And as we were there hundreds of feet beneath the ground, they turned the lights off for one minute and we got to experience what total darkness is really like. It was amazing how in just a few moments, time and space seemed to kind of vanish and distort around me. I, I didn't really have any reference of time or space. It was so dark I couldn't see my watch. And I, I could put my face in front of, uh, my hand in front of my face, but I couldn't tell if it was just a few inches away or, or a foot away. Space didn't really seem to exist anymore. But it's interesting that it really wasn't scary at all. 
I knew the lights were coming back on in a minute. And I was aware of what was happening. You know, I, I personally think that the scariest darkness that you can ever really experience is, is when you wake up in the middle of the night from a dead sleep and, and you've had a bad dream and you, you suddenly are awake and you're confused and, and you don't know where you are. You wake up and, and, and nothing seems to make sense. You, you don't know what's going on and your mind can play tricks on you and... You can even see things that really aren't there. You can see shapes, faces, forms, bodies, and, and then they just kind of seem to vanish into thin air because they really were never there at all. I remember one night I woke up out of a dead sleep and, and at the end of my bed right by the door, I saw a figure that looked like it was a, a demon or a monster or something. And, and I, I thought about rebuking it, but... But as I sat there and my mind became more alert and I, I woke up more, I realized it was actually just my bathrobe hanging on my door. And it was my bathrobe all along. There wasn't any demon there to scare me or that had come for me. But it was the darkness that had tricked me into be, to being afraid of something that I didn't need to fear at all. In Genesis Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 in the King James Version, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And notice it says, And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In the Amplified, it says it this way, In the beginning, God prepared, formed, fashioned, and Created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and an empty waste. And darkness was upon the face of the very great deep. The Spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding over the face of the waters. So in the beginning we read that God created everything. But God created it in darkness. We all know the story of creation. We know how in the end everything was so beautiful and, and peaceful. So if it was good and peaceful, why was it that God made it in darkness? Why didn't God make it good and beautiful and peaceful from the beginning? Why did He create it in darkness and in chaos? Of course, we know that God is a master creator. He wasn't making a mistake. He created everything in the way that He did with a purpose, intentionally. He meant for it to be that way. You know, it's interesting that, that people are creative as well. When I was at the, I guess actually first when I was at Joe and Ryan's house, I saw a painting on the wall and I, I made a remark about it, how much I liked it. And they said, oh, well, well our uncle painted that. And, and I, I just, I loved it. It was so beautiful. And later when I was at the Smith's house, I saw several pieces of art there as well. And, and the same uncle had, had done those too. And it, it just was incredible how creative people can be. Especially when, unfortunately, I'm not very creative at all. If uh, I drew you a picture, it would look like a six-year-old did it. I'm, I'm not like bashing six-year-old's artwork, you know, like if you have any hanging on your fridge. It's good for a six-year-old to draw like a six-year-old. Not so much for a 30-year-old to draw like a six-year-old, you know. But people are creative. 
Why are we creative? Have you ever wondered why people are creative? You know, we're not just like robots that are pre-programmed and just kind of move according to a pre-programmed schedule, but we are creative. We create new things. The reason why is because we're created in the image of God. And our God is a creator. Our God is a creator. In the world, there's something that is called the creative process. How many of you have heard of the creative process? You know, everybody has a little bit of a different creative process. I heard of uh, one song that was written, and the guy was sitting in his bathtub. He was sitting in his bathtub with the lights out for like three days, and suddenly, boom, this song came to him. And he wrote it down, and it became a number one song. And that was his creative process. But they say that there are five steps to the creative process. And today we're talking about God's creative process. The first step is preparation. First, you have to have an idea. If you don't have an idea, what are you going to create? The second step is incubation. That's where it rolls around in your mind and you kind of improve it. And you say, well, maybe I'll change this. This will be a little bit better this way. Number three is illumination. And that's where it takes life. Step four is evaluation. When you scrutinize it and ask, how did I do? And then step five is verification. When over time you begin to see if it really works the way that it was intended. And we can see in the Bible that God does this exactly time and again throughout creation. God had an idea and he incubated a plan. God created it and said, let there be light. And he illuminated it. The Bible tells us that after that, God evaluated everything that he did and he saw that it was good. And then he verified it. He put man in the garden and everything was working great. It was verified good. But you know, it wasn't too long before a problem came up. God gave Adam a task. And he said, Adam, I want you to go and I want you to name the animals. Why did God ask Adam to name the animals? Adam, as he was naming the animals, he was going along and he went down to, I don't know, the cabbage patch or the field or wherever they were. And so he sees these two fluffy, hoppy things and he says, rabbits. And there's And how many of them are there? There's two. And there's a male and a female. That's very important. It wouldn't work any other way. And then he sees two majestic gallopy things. And well, what are we going to call them? Let's call them horses. And again, there's one and there's two. And there's a male and a female. And and as the animals come before Adam, he sees there's two. Two giraffes. Two elephants. There's two hippos, two turtles. There's two everywhere. But where's the other one of me? And as Adam was counting the animals and as he was naming them, he began to see that he was alone. And he began to ask God, God, why why is there only one of me? As he began to feel lonely. God, well, where's the other one? Where, where is the female part to me? And, and, well, Adam, there isn't one. Well, why not? 
Well, because I didn't make another one. Well, I want there to be one. And so here's the question that we run into with this, with this problem. Did God ask Adam to name the animals because God saw that Adam was alone and he wanted to bring it to Adam's attention? Or did Adam, realizing it, bring it to God's attention when God had never noticed or realized that Adam was alone before? Of course, we know that God knows everything. So how can God realize something he didn't already know if he knows everything? Of course, you know, if, it, if Adam was anything like we are, he probably, and I'm sure he was the one, or he felt like he was the one who realized it first. He probably thought God's plan wasn't good enough. If God would have really known what he was doing, he would have foreseen this problem and he would have dealt with it from the beginning. If only God's plan would have been a little bit better. And so we see the creative process repeat. Number one, preparation. God has an idea of what he's going to create. And I believe he had a plan to create Eve before he probably even created Adam. Adam didn't know it. But God sees the end from the beginning. God knows what he's going to have to do. Amen. He sees us where we are. Hallelujah. God prepares the idea. He incubates it. Literally, he put Adam to sleep and he got to work. Number three, illumination. Boom, Adam wakes up and God says, congratulations, you're married. (laughs) Step four, evaluation. And now God and Adam. Remember in creation, it was God who saw everything and said it is good. But now God and Adam both see that it's good. And Adam can say, thank you, God. I'm not alone anymore. I have someone to help me. This is great. And then there's the step five, verification. Now, instead of just Adam walking alone in the garden with God, now they both walk together in the garden with God in the cool of the day. And this process repeats on and on throughout the Bible in both good circumstances and bad. You know, it wasn't too much long after that that Adam and Eve committed a sin and and they felt they had a sense of guilt. You know, sometimes when we mess up, we, we have a sense of guilt. We feel like we've messed up and, and we just feel dirty. And Can you imagine how Adam and Eve felt, though? They were the first people to ever do anything bad. They had never felt guilt before in their lives. And suddenly, I mean, it must have hit them like a ton of bricks. And so they went... They realized they were naked. And the Bible tells us that they took leaves from a fig tree and they sewed them together to try to cover themselves. They, they made basically a little, basically little underwear to cover themselves up. But, but they didn't feel covered. They were still very much aware of the guilt and the shame and what they had done. But God had a plan. They tried to run from the feeling. They tried to hide from the filling and finally they tried to cover it up. But God had a plan and he completely covered their nakedness. You know, it doesn't matter what you or I may have done or how guilty we may feel today. We may feel so far from God as if we have completely failed God. But he has already, he has already done everything that is necessary 
for our sin to be covered. The Bible tells us that when we are baptized in Jesus' name, that all of the stains of all of the sins we have ever committed are washed away from us. And we are made new, just like a brand new person, as if we had never done anything wrong. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, all of the guilt and shame leave. Because we are free from our sin. Later on, God had a plan to save Noah and his family from a worldwide flood. And so God gave Noah the plans to build an ark, and they were saved. Abraham so desperately wanted a son. But he was an old man, and if it had seemed impossible when he was young, it certainly was now that he was old. But God had a plan to give Abraham a son. In 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 18 in the Amplified, it says, And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into His very own image, in ever-increasing splendor, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in each of us, God is still working to create something. He is not done with us. He is still working on us. He's still working in us. And He wants to take us from glory to glory. From glory to glory. When God's done something in our life and it's amazing and we look at it and say, God, what you're doing is amazing. God, it is good what you are doing. Come on. That's not the only time God wants to do that in our life. He wants to take us from that glory to an even greater glory. When we read the Bible, we see how God created everything. And how God has an answer to every situation. We see how God is a healer, a deliverer, a restorer, a savior, a protector, a provider. And when we live for God, we go from glory to glory. From one healing to another provision to another deliverance. But I want to ask you a question today. What is in between the glories? What is in between those mountaintop experiences? You know, after I I had been here for a a few days, Brother Kelly said, Hey, come on, let's get in the car. I want to take you somewhere. And, And we were on the way and I found out that he was taking me to jump off Joe and And, you know, we were going up there and I was getting a little bit worried that maybe he was wanting to rename it Throw Off Jason, you know. (laughs) But we got there and thankfully he had no such plan. But instead he said, I want you to get a lay of the land of of the Tri-Cities. And and, uh, I I just could look out. It was a beautiful day, a very clear day. And we could see forever almost. And... uh, as we pulled up and he, we got out, he handed me some binoculars. He said, I want, look down over there. There's Richland, and then here's Kennewick, and there's Pasco. And then I could see the Pasco Airport, the Columbia River, the Blue Bridge, the Cable Bridge. And then way out in the distance, a big, big plume of steam. And he said, and that's Hanford. <laughs> but beyond all of that, Beyond all of that, I could see even so much further beyond that, mountains in the distance. And they were gorgeous. They had snow on them and 
They were so majestic. And I realized also as I stood there how high up I was on Jump Off Joe. And so looking from one peak to another, sometimes, you know, we want to go directly from here to there. But unfortunately, in between is a lot of the time a whole lot of valley that we have to go through first. In the Bible, when we read about what God did sometimes about these mountaintop experiences and these incredible deliverances that God gave to people, I wonder if we're really able to grasp first how deep the valley was and how deep it seemed to the individual who was going through it and how impossible their circumstances seemed. You know, when we stop and think about it, I doubt that any of us can really comprehend the the pain or the frustration, the anger, the hurt, the confusion that Job must have been going through when they told him, hey, Job, sorry, man, but you've lost everything today. Some of your flocks were burned up by fire from heaven and others were stolen and you have nothing left. You were rich yesterday, but you have nothing today. And just when they are leaving, someone else comes running up and tells them, Oh, oh, Job, I'm so sorry to tell you, but all your kids died in a disaster. They were all in the same place and a disaster came and crushed the house and they were all inside and no one made it out alive. And then after that, Job comes down with a, a terrible skin disease that, that he's in just agony And as he's sitting there, some of his friends come along to cheer him up. But instead, they start accusing him of sinning and and doing something to make God angry. And and they accuse him of being the reason that everything bad in his life is happening. So we have Job first going through financial disaster. Absolute catastrophe. And then the worst emotional pain imaginable with losing your kids. All of your kids. And then on top of that, terrible physical pain. And then finally, the spiritual pain of abuse. And he searches himself for why he's the cause of his children's deaths. And what could he have done wrong and Finally, he comes to the conclusion, I don't know what I did. I don't think I did anything. I've been careful. I've tried to serve God as best as I could. Or how can we understand what Elijah was going through and his confusion and his feelings of hopelessness when after having the greatest victory he would ever see in calling fire down from heaven and burning up the sacrifice and the altar and the water that had doused it all. The queen turns around and says, I'm going to kill you. And while he was fighting for God yesterday, now he doesn't know where God is. He feels alone. And now he's running for his life and thinking, God, where are you? Where are you? And you know, this is the question that can plague us at times when the creative process that God has starts over. And just like when God started creation, He plunges us back into the confusing, terrifying darkness. And we say, God, where are you? Job expressed this feeling well when he said in Job 28, uh, 23, 8 through 9, Behold, I go forward. 
but he's not there. And backward, but I can't perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, I see he's working over there, but, but I can't behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But Job didn't stop there. You see, Job had some experience with God. And Job had an understanding of God's creative process. Job had seen the darkness before and he knew that there is always an end to the darkness. It doesn't matter how deep the valley may seem, if you just keep moving forward, there is an end to the pain. In verse 10, he goes on to say, But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, he couldn't see where God was. He couldn't seem to find out, God, where are you? But he had a confidence and a knowledge of the love of God that God knew exactly where he was and that God wasn't going to leave him alone in his situation. Hallelujah. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1-6, through 6, the Bible tells us about David. It tells us, and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and had smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So as David is out fighting battles, the Amalekites come and burn down his, his village. And thankfully they didn't kill anybody, but they took everybody captive and went on their way. And so later David comes back. says, So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? If you come home from work one day and your wife isn't there? Your kids aren't there? And someone just came and took them captive? Can you imagine how hopeless you would feel? And you don't even know where they took them. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. I think we can all relate to that. Until they had no more power to weep. They had no more tears left to cry. And David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. She used to be the wife of Nabal before he died. He, He didn't take her from another man. It's good that we understand that. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But notice this next phrase. It says, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David is standing there with his family taken captive. His city burned to the ground. And people, his own men, talking about killing him. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Job understood this same concept of encouraging himself in the Lord. After he says, everywhere I look for God, I can't find him. He goes on to say, But he knows the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth 
as gold. Job had to encourage himself that even though I don't understand why these things are happening to me, I have to hold on to the promise that God is the one at work. And He will not leave me to die in my situation. God is working to create something that when it is over, both God and I will be able to look back and evaluate everything that happened and say, it is good. God, the process wasn't easy. It certainly wasn't very comfortable. But God, you were working to take me to a higher place than I've ever been before. A higher place in you. A higher place of favor. A higher place of understanding and of power. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 12 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. It's interesting that it says that. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. You know why it says that? Because there's going to be some situations that to make it through, it's going to take trusting God with all your heart. Trusting God with a little bit of your heart isn't going to be enough. Trusting God with half of your heart is not going to be enough. The only way you're going to make it through is if you say, God, I'm going to trust you completely with all of the trust I have in my heart. God, I'm going to put it in you. And lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That's an important key ingredient right there. It shall be health to thy navel and morrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Why? So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. You know what's interesting? I don't even have barns. <laughs> but God promised me that if I, if I would honor Him with, with my finances, that God would fill up my barns. So some of y'all, y'all have a head start on me because maybe you already have barns. But I guess God is going to have to give me the barns and the things to fill them. So amen. I'm looking forward to that. Praise. <laughs> so shall thy barns be filled with plenty. And thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Amen. That's how God sees us today. How many of y'all have children here today? How many of y'all have, have a favorite child here today? Oh, man, okay. <laughs> well, at least the hands were a little bit fewer. <laughs> we won't ask which one is your favorite child. <laughs> we don't want to get anybody in too much trouble. But the Lord looks at us as the son or the daughter who is his favorite child. You're not just the, the son or the daughter of God. You're the favorite son or daughter of God. Now, how we can all be that at the same time, we won't go into. But God loves each of us as if we're the very favorite. You may not understand what you're going through or where you are. But God is taking you somewhere through the darkness that you can never get to by your own efforts. That's why we've got to trust the Lord with all our hearts. Hallelujah. 
It's going to take all of the trust that we have at times to say, God, you're the master creator. You're the one with the blueprints. You don't make mistakes. I don't see how it's going to work out, but God, I'm going to trust you with all my heart. Paul knew that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Hey, I think we sang that today. We did. Paul knew that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning when in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You may be going through something right now and you say, God, I can't even take it anymore. God, I'm suffering so much. This hurts too much. I can't stand it anymore. But what you don't understand is the glory that God's wanting to bring about in your life is so amazing that you won't even remember. You won't even feel worthy to compare it to the suffering that you went through. Hallelujah. The Word of God wants us to know that if you trust in the Lord, you will never be disappointed. God will not let you down. He will come through for you. The circumstances are not too difficult for Him. They're what He is using to create something beautiful in you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 in the Amplified says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. It doesn't say He makes everything beautiful in the time frame that we wish He would sometimes. But in the right time, He makes everything beautiful. He also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. A divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can justify. Yet so that men cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. When God is done working His work in you, people will come and say, when did that happen? When did that happen? When did God do that? They won't be able to tell because God works in the dark. In David's life, he experienced being hunted by a king and his army, having his family kidnapped, having his kingdom stolen from him. And yet after it was all said and done, and he had seen God's salvation, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31, he says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. What he's saying is, I have tested the word of God. I have seen that the promises of God are true. I have tested them. And I can tell you for a fact, based on my experience, that they won't let you down. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler or a shield to all them that trust in Him. You know, sometimes the devil will lie to us just like he did to Adam and Eve. And he'll tell us, you know what God's doing in your life? It just isn't fair. If God really loved you, He wouldn't put you through this. God doesn't really know what He's doing. But it's a lie. He wants to get us to resist what God is doing and where God is taking us. You know, resisting God is what what God is trying to do in our lives is really only fighting against God's creative power and process to bring us to a greater place. 
Some people resist God when he deals with them about how a Christian should live and say, well, do, do I really have to do that to be saved? Is that really necessary? But what they don't understand is what God is trying to do in them. They don't understand that God is wanting to crown them with glory, with honor, with peace in their life. God is wanting to set them apart from everyone else so that He can put His stamp of holiness on them and as if to say, this one is special. This is my special vessel. If the musicians could come. Where are we today? Where are we in God's creative process? Are we going through a difficult time? It may be that no one else even really knows what we're going through. I want to encourage you that God wants to use the darkness that is so scary to bring a new day in your life. A day of glorious sunlight where you can walk freely and bask in the presence of God. I heard someone say one time that all of us were either in a crisis, just coming out of a crisis, or about to go into one. It's God's creative process. It doesn't matter where you are in the process. God is with you. Maybe you can feel Him. Or maybe today you feel like He's a million miles away and isn't paying attention to your situation. But He's there with you. He sees every tear you cry. He hears every word you say. He sees every thought you think. He feels your pain. Psalms chapter 34, verse 18 through 22 says, The Lord is near unto them that are of of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. It doesn't say it'll happen today. It doesn't I'm not here to preach and say, your trouble is over. Your pain is over. Your difficult situation is over. You're going to walk out of here and everything's going to be different. I don't know where in God's process you are. But God will deliver us out of them all. He keepeth all His bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of His servants. And none of them that trust in Him shall be desolate. None that trust in Him will be desolate. If your heart is broken, if you feel alone, God is close to you. He's paying attention to you. He's right there next to you. If we could all stand. I want to invite you this morning, wherever you are, to come to God. If you want to come to the altar and pray this morning, you're welcome to. But wherever we are, let's talk to God from our hearts this morning.
You can tell God how you feel. You can be honest with Him. You can be open with Him. Amen. If you are going through a valley today, I want to encourage you to trust in the Lord. Sometimes we need to reaffirm verbally our trust in God. You can say, God, I trust You. Lord, You are the Master Builder. God, I trust that You do have the best plans for my life. Help me to trust You with Your process. If you're here today, but you've never started on your journey with God and His creative process in your life, well, today is your lucky day. God has a master plan for your life. He can turn your life into something so beautiful, something so blessed and peaceful that you can look back and know that only God could have done something this wonderful. And in the end, you also, you also will say, God, it is good. Amen. In the Bible, when people ask the Apostle Peter, the one who had the keys to the kingdom of heaven, how they could be saved and start their relationship with God, he didn't hesitate when he told them. In in the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he told them, you need to repent. Repentance is a word that we don't use very much, but it's not a difficult concept. To repent just means to turn, to turn direction. Right. It means to turn around. Right. You're going in one direction, and you turn around and go in the other direction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. My dad was in the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps takes marching very seriously. They call it drill, to sound cool. But... When you're marching and they want you to turn in the opposite direction, they tell you to do an about face. And you do an about face means you turn 180 degrees and walk in the opposite direction. In the British Army, they don't do that. They don't use the term about face. They use the term repent. And you're marching in one direction. And repent! And they turn around in the opposite direction. And that's what Peter said to them on the day of Pentecost. The first thing he told them to do, to do was repent. You've got to turn the direction of your life. You're walking in the direction of satisfying your flesh and satisfying what you want to do. Well, you need to turn that around. You need to walk away from that. You need to please God. You need to walk in the direction of pleasing what God wants. That's the first step. It's a very simple one, but sometimes it's not always an easy one. You've got to deny yourself and say, God, I'm going to serve you and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And it goes on to promise, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that when you receive the Holy Ghost, power will come upon you. Amen. How many of you want some more power in your life today? Amen. I want some more power. Amen. You know, when you buy a new car, you don't pay more for a smaller engine. You pay more money for more power. Why? Because everybody wants it. And if it was free, everybody would get the bigger engine. We all need more power in our lives. 
And when you receive the Holy Ghost, you'll feel a power come in your life that you've never felt before. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's all pray today. Hallelujah. Let's focus on God this morning. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what's going on around us today. Hallelujah. We can be alone with God. Let's talk to God from our hearts this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I trust You. I trust You, God. I may not understand why You do things the way that You do them all the time. I may not understand exactly where You have me and and why I am where I am, but God, You are the Master Creator. Hallelujah, Jesus. I trust You. I trust You working in my life. Your ways are higher than my ways, God. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus.